welcome to the first episode of the Pop and Jay Show. Um, apparently, I'm Pop, and this is my daughter Jessica Jay. Woo-hoo. We talk a lot. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So we're gonna just jump in and get started. You can strap in and see if you can figure out the theme. Uh, our topic today uh, is gonna be the Thank whole trend. But uh, before we get to that. Yeah, we should really uh, intro why we're doing this. Um, this is something that we've been talking about for a long time. Even when podcasts were brand spanking new, I think you and I have been essentially doing what people do on podcasts, which is just, you know, I don't know. And even long before podcasting, some of our favorite thinkers are like C.S. Lewis and these guys that would, you know, they made an art form out of sitting around and talking and thinking and it's called philosophy. It's something that doesn't exactly exist anymore. So our hopes for this, this podcast are, I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for both of us, just that it will be uh, helpful, um, informative, entertaining. These are all the qualities that we love about all the podcasts that we listen to all the time. And uh, hopefully it'll be great. Yes. Well, as I am fond of saying, and all of my children know, uh, I believe that hope is not a strategy. It's a good tactic, but it's not a strategy. So rather than just hope we can have a good podcast, I think we should actually make it happen. Wait, wait, what what if we put hope together with the word change? Then does it work? (laughs) Hope and change? Uh, That's actually a future show. Ooh, Um, I like it. Yeah, we're probably not going to do that one. As is philosophy. And by the way, I appreciate that you said that there's no such thing anymore because unfortunately, Unfortunately, it seems that we have a generation of people who are taught what to think, not how to think. And that's that's a problem. That's a problem on so many levels. So, we, you know, we will get to that one. That's one of my favorites, obviously, being a philosopher. Mm-hmm. So, But for today, we're, we're not going to do that. Well, I mean, in a way, we will incorporate philosophy, as uh, I think everyone should at every moment of their life um, about most everything. Because that's just uh, that's just good thinking. But today we're going to talk specifically about the Trinity. Let's just jump right out there and say it. Okay, so we're going to get what we normally do captured. And yes. we're going to listen to it. And I wonder if anyone else will. We talk a lot, like I said. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of the times uh, we come up with stuff. It's sort of like... People that, or so I've heard, uh, people that smoke pot or marijuana, they have these great revelations, and then the next the next day they're gone, and they don't remember. But at the time, they they testify that they just solved every problem in the universe. Um, our show is like smoking pot. That could be our. Uh, that could be yeah. what we're looking for. <laughs> exactly. That's our intro. That's our our our, our catchphrase. <laughs> Well, it's funny when you when you sit around and talk back and forth and you and you listen and talk and listen and talk and listen, you can't help but have epiphanies come to you because that's the engagement part. That's where your brain you're you're not just like a debate where you're not really listening and you're just thinking about the next thing you're going to say. You're actually thinking and when when someone retorts back, you you process that and that that cannot help but lead to uh epiphanies and discoveries and all these great things so uh i'm sorry i wasn't listening what (laughs) uh we well so we'll find out if we really are um coming up with great epiphanies or if we are mad crazy or both which catholics are usually both and and uh full disclosure we are catholic uh, or as Jim Gaffigan would say, we are Shiite Catholics because we like to think of ourselves as trying to be devout and good Catholics. Uh, obviously, as Catholics, we can never reach that because no matter how good we are, we will always think of ourselves as not good. Yes, or- it's adorable Catholic guilt. I'm teaching uh, some second graders at, who are preparing for their first reconciliation this year <laughs> all about it. It's beautiful. Catholic guilt. You know, and there, by the way, uh, see, talk about the epiphanies. There is one of the next shows there, Catholic Guilt. We will be hitting on that one. And it's a beautiful segue into this topic because we do try to be guilty as Catholics. And by guilty, I mean humble and humility, which is the antidote and the opposite of pride. And what better way 
than to imagine and try to picture the majesty of God. The, the fundamental mystery, one of the fundamental mysteries of Christianity, one of the major underpinnings of our faith, the Holy Trinity. The more you think about it, the more your brain doesn't just hurt, it opens. And I hope some of the things we talk about today are going to help not only our brains open, but maybe anyone who's unfortunate enough to be listening. Well, and at some point today in this episode, we have, uh, you know, I think in every episode when there's a, an opposing viewpoint, I'm not saying this is the most intellectual opposition, but uh, we'll play a clip from Bill Maher, who, you know, as he is, he's uh, uncouth and whatever, but he's... I think he represents what probably could be considered the mainstream, uh, at least atheistic, like opposition to the Trinity. Because actually, I don't um, have all the statistics, which I should, but the vast majority of Christians believe in the Trinity. We're going to get to all that. But there's also people who uh, are of faith that don't believe in the Trinity. But then the atheistic perspective um, that Bill Maher, I think, kind of represents is basically that it's just crazy. And in some ways it is. It's so, it's called a mystery. It's so hard to understand, but a mystery doesn't mean that it's incorrect. It well, just means it, it absolutely does not. But th the fact that people, because I can't understand it, it must be false. That That's something that I see and hear a lot. It's, uh, and, and by the way, speaking of future episodes, again, back to pride, We'll certainly have to have to talk about pride a lot because it is the queen mother of all the sins. And pride is the thing that makes a, a rash, quote, rational human being actually say something like, well, I just cannot imagine that. And therefore, it's not real. And Pascal's famous saying that one of his that I love more than almost anything he ever said was uh, reason's final step is to realize that there is something that surpasses it. And that's the that's the pride step that so many people just cannot get over that hurdle. Do you do you want to start then with that clip of Bill Maher, and then we can go from here on out discussing against it, or do you want to play it later? Well, I, I don't mind playing it at all. I would I would hate that we get into uh, a topic when we're going to try to talk about the Holy Trinity, that we get into opposition to the Holy Trinity as the topic. But I think it should be out there that there's people like that 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 take such a which, okay, I'll be I'll be charitable here. Take such an elementary view of it. Have yeah, I, let's go ahead and play it because I think that's how Aquinas tends to argue, right? He'll line up the opposition and then go. Absolutely. Although I'm not trying to prove the Holy Trinity today. I, no, I, no, that's just true. Just talk that's about true. it. But yes, you're right. We should always start with with opposition and then talk about it. So, do you think even before we play Bill Maher, we should define the Trinity? Uh, I absolutely do. Uh, Dr. Peter Kreeft would be very proud of that because before you can really talk about a thing, you have to know what that thing is and what we're talking about. So I can go, well, how about a direct, I'll, I'll give a couple of directs here that I just happen to have in front of me. Holy Trinity, one God without division in a plurality of persons, three persons without confusion in a unity of essence. God is not basically one, with the individual persons being derived from the oneness, nor is God basically three, with the unity of the persons being secondary. Instead, God is one, and God is three. There are not three gods, there is only one God. Yet each of the persons is himself God, and they are distinct individual persons, but there is only one God. And Peter Crave says, the doctrine of the Trinity does not say that there is one God and three gods, or that God is one person and three persons. These would indeed be self-contradictory ideas. The doctrine of the Trinity says there is only one God and only one divine nature, but that this one God exists in three persons. That is a great mystery, but it is not a logical self-contradiction. And we can unpack that as we go, because there's a lot more to say about it. Yep, indeed. I'm going to go ahead and uh, play the 37-second clip of Bill Maher for everybody right now. So, guys, get ready. Uh, warning, fair, fair warning beforehand. You're going to lose a few IQ points after listening to this. It's, Don't say it morning. Yeah. Or how about this whopper? New rule. Not only does God have a son who's really him, <laughs> but there's also a 
Holy Ghost in there, and they're all one person called the Trinity. A Catholic monk named Tertullian made up the Holy Ghost in the third century, and after that, it is true. I tell you, religion, it's like Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, anyone can write something in. Yeah, so... Wow. I love him. He's so smart. Well, so we... Do, okay, so... We don't have to go directly to refuting him. What I wanted to um, say, or what got me thinking about this uh, as even something to talk about, because we had a lot of ideas. I mean, we've had so many. But, uh, like I said, I just started teaching this year uh, this this uh, wave of... of young catechumens, uh, uh, second grade, so they're preparing for the reconciliation, they're little adorable seven-year-olds, and week one is uh, teaching them the Trinity, no pressure, <laughs> this mystery of Christianity that is so, like, after all these years of studying it, and no matter, you know, I, I mean, I, I've read so many amazing things by so many people, and this one is, you know, it's up there with the Eucharist and, and other mysteries of the faith. And it, it was got me thinking that it's, it's really beautiful and strange and phenomenal to me that, you know, after the, especially after the quote unquote reformation, um, after the split into Protestantism, so many people lost their faith in the mystery of the Eucharist. Yet the very, very vast majority of Christians have maintained their faith in the Trinity. And since it's not explicitly stated anywhere in Scripture, which is usually that oh-so-important caveat that, that Protestants need, that sola scriptura element, since it's not there, it's very beautiful that somehow that has endured. And uh, well, It's beautiful, for sure, but let's not lose sight of the fact that even though it's not the word Trinity doesn't come out in the Bible— uh, it, it's it's displayed. It's on full display all the way, it's, it's all the, all throughout the Bible. It's it's displayed that this is actually what's going on. Christ saying, "If you've seen the Father, you've seen me." He breathes the Holy Spirit upon him. I mean, on and on and on. Um, the Trinity is something that's that's always been there. And Bill Maher saying, you know, comedic line at the beginning. Oh, oh, new rule. There's now now there's a Holy Ghost. Not now. And Tertullian did not come up with this in the third century. It's clearly outlined in the New Testament, and it's evident in the Old Testament. God's Holy Spirit is everywhere throughout. So, the, you know, Bill Maher saying to countless, shall we call them low-information listeners and, and viewers, that, oh, this is a new thing they came up with in the third century. There's actually people that will believe that. Well, and there's, like I said, so he represents that kind of like knee-jerk yeah, that's, that makes sense. Like any low information, like you said, or, or an atheist specifically, or agnostic, it's a little it's a little wacky, and that would be the easiest way to refute. Oh yeah, now look, now there's, um, but there's there's like I said earlier, there's a lot of uh, believers of of whatever different kinds of faiths. There there are some um, uh, modern non they're called non trinitarian or anti trinitarian. Christian groups, quote-unquote. Denominations include Christadelphians, Christian scientists, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, Don Bible students, Friends, General Conference, Iglesia Ni Cristo, Jehovah's yep. Witnesses, Living Church of God, Oneness Pentecostals, I didn't realize that, Members uh, Church of God International, Unitarian Universalist Christians, and The Way International, The Church of God International, and The United Church of God. So it sounds like a lot, but... To be fair, there's, what, 30,000 denominations of Protestantism? So it's a relatively small number. The, I think the most um, well-known being the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Well, but again, we, we can't really call them uh, Christians. or Any Christ of them. Right. Because a tenet of Christianity is to believe in the, the Trinity. Right. Exactly. But so so we've got that. We've got the opposition. We've got... Founded religions, and we've got founded idiots like Bill Maher. Um, so there's there's definitely some people who, for their own reasons, refuse to accept it. Then you have the countless billions over how many generations and hundreds and thousands of years who do accept it, although 
they don't understand it. And when you don't understand something, it's sort of like a lot of cradle Catholics with bad catechesis growing up. They believe and they, they, they do the things that they do in mass, but they don't really understand them and they don't know why they're doing them and they don't. So it is important to talk about, figure out what this, this thing, this Holy Trinity, what the heck is it? Can, can we not understand it at all? Can we understand it to a certain point? So that's why it's worth talking about. Forgetting the doubters and all for a minute, just sticking strictly to that. How do you explain it, Jess? Well, with the kids, um, I got good advice from a friend of mine who's a apologist, and he said, because I was thinking I had heard the um, old St. Patrick story that he used the for the clover, the three-leaf the clover. The shamrock, yeah. And, and he actually, this friend of mine, he thought it was um, actually a, a failing analogy, so he showed me something I hadn't seen, which I guess I'm... I'm one of few who hasn't seen that, but I, I hadn't heard of the, the Trinity shield. And right. so it's, it really helped for the kids. They loved it. it. It was, you know, you've got the God in the middle and then you've got c- connecting lines to the three, the triangle that surrounds that, that God symbol. And you've got lines that connect from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit directly to God and say, the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God. God, uh, the Father is God. And then you've got lines that connect the separate persons on the outside that say God is not, uh, the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's um, he also told me to help clarify it that, um, you know, some beings in the world are no persons, like a rock. Some beings are one person, like us. And some, or, you know, God is so much greater of a, of a being. He is three persons in one being um i found something interesting that said if we were to use math it wouldn't be one plus one plus one equals three it would be one times one times one equals one yeah that is brilliant that so is. I, I like that because they do they they you would say they exponentially help each other it's not like they don't add to each other because god can't be you can't add to god there's nothing lacking in God the Father or in Jesus or in the Holy Spirit. So you can't add to them. It's not like that. But they exponentially right. feed off of each other. Yeah, yeah. So, who, you know, we've, we've gone all this way by way of definition, but we haven't, I guess, the most fundamental of all. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father being God the Creator. Um, when I need to understand something really understand something i have a few go-to places that i that i reach out for one of them is dr peter craved and i've already quoted a little of him uh the other one is one of the greatest minds that's ever existed and that's c.s lewis i love there's so many different analogies like you pointed out um metaphors analogies whatever for the holy spirit for for the holy trinity but they all limp, and, and they always will. But Lewis, uh, as amazing as he is, think think in dimensions. So he takes you out into space. He says in space you can move three different ways. You can go left or right. You can go back or forward. You can go up or down. And they're either one or they're a compromise. They're, they're called the three dimensions. Now, if you're using only one, you can draw only a straight line. But if you use two dimensions, you can draw a figure, like a square. And a square is made up of four straight lines. So see how the, the dimensions cross. Now, one step further, if you have three dimensions, you can build what we call a solid body, like a cube, uh, something like dice or sugar, like a, a sugar cube. And what is a cube? It's made up of six squares. So you have, in a three-dimensional world, you, you still have all these figures and lines, but they make one solid body. So you have a cube, which is combined of other things, but it is one body. And that's sort of the way he got people thinking about, you know, processing how that goes. But, but the more he talked about it to himself, and this is the part that I love so much about C.S. Lewis, he finds like Aquinas, he finds flaws in his own arguments, he finds shortcomings, and he said this, the more he 
started trying to explain how these three persons are connected. He found that he, that he had to use words that made it sound like one of them was there before the others. The first person is the father, the second is the son. And so that implies that, and we even say the first person begets the second. We call it begetting instead of making because what he produces is the same kind as himself, unlike a creator uh, making something. And so in that way, the father is the only word to use. But that sort of leads people to think that he was there first, like a human father existing before his son. So Lewis said, it's tough because you have to think of the son streaming forth from the father. So you have to think of it like light from a lamp or heat from a fire or thoughts from a mind. He is the self-expression of the father. So there was never a time when he was not expressing it or saying it. And then the, the most beautiful part, and, and I'll end this, this Lewis piece with that, is the, the Holy Spirit. So Lewis talked about how with human beings, when they get together in a, a family or a club or whatever, a union or a group, people talk about the spirit of that group. They talk about its spirit because the individual members, when they get together, they develop particular ways of talking and behaving that they would not have if they were apart. It's as if some sort of communal personality just came into being, came into existence. But of course, it's not a real person. It's only like a person. But that is just one of the differences between God and us. What grows out of the joint life of the father and son is a real person, the third of the three persons. So you think of the Holy Spirit. We always say um, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the father and the son. And the way Lewis describes that to me is beautiful. It's like the spirit of a family or something. It's, it's a real part of them that comes forth from their union there. And in some ways that just makes the Holy Spirit so, I mean, you know, it's almost easier, you would say, to, to feel a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is like what, what Protestants are so good at, you know, a real, you know, cause he was, he was a person. So you can, that's how we are. We, we, we individualize everything and God, the father, you can almost see that cause obviously somebody created the world, but the Holy Spirit is this beautiful extra mysterious i i mean he's not really they're all equally mysterious but uh it's it's just very beautiful especially for somebody like me and i know you you know always been very intrigued with believing in you know the magic that that spark of magic or you know that supernatural things around us and that's you know as i've grown up it's funny because as a kid at some point i think i remember thinking well, you have to grow out of that someday. And as I've become stronger in my faith, it's not true at all. Like you believe more and more in there being more out there. And the Holy Spirit is, is like some, and the words I've always, gosh, I've always loved the words used to describe the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the paraclete. Yeah. There's so many things that, um, but you were talking about proceeding and how it always seems like there's going to be, you know, you're going to run into trouble once first, one second. And it's funny because one of my favorite articles about this is from Tim Staples, one of the greatest uh, apologists, obviously. But he, he always uses this in, in debating Jehovah's Witnesses or anybody about the Trinity. He always starts with John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. All things made through him, and without him was not made anything that was made. And then his points, you know, he says, in the beginning was, that's the key. Yeah. And, in the beginning of what? Yeah. And um, then and then we find out that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we know that that means Jesus was there at the beginning. And so then after you defend that Jesus was there at the beginning, the next apologetics avenue is, is that the Holy Spirit was there as well. I think it's easier, easiest, I guess, for most people to to believe in the divinity of Jesus and the father. But the, 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 the thing he always says and that I always think about when I'm trying to like defend the Holy Trinity is that if you do believe in the divinity of Jesus, you are almost there for the whole Trinity because you, you already believe in two divine persons. And yeah. so the third one is it, it, like it, like we say, it proceeds from the, so um, like the, 
the different, maybe we could just say real quick, a couple scripture verses that talk about the Holy Spirit, which is, let's see, where's some good ones? There are more than a few. First Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? Very nice. And the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 10.15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their misdeeds no more. Nice. So the Father actively and eternally generates the Son, constituting the person of God the Father. The Son is passively generated of the Father, which constitutes the person of the Son. And the Father and the Son actively spirate the Holy Spirit in the one relation within the inner life of God that does not constitute a person. There's the word right there, spirate. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that word. I don't know. You tell me about that word because that's <laughs> that is a big word. Well, it's a it's not a big word, but it's a very descriptive word. When we say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, what does that mean? So I'll answer that with a question to you. Um, have you ever heard the phrase "God is love"? Yep. Okay. For better or worse. <laughs> Actually, that's one of those phrases that pretty much everyone uses from, uh, you know, Buddhist to completely non-religious people who don't spend a lot of time thinking about God. They'll, they'll Back throw to our that... pot smoking theme, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They'll throw that one out. God. But what does that mean exactly? By the way, uh, Christian theology absolutely states that God is love, but we actually have a little bit of meat to that to explain what we mean by it rather than just some uh, nonsensical feel-good, you know, the old, God, the Bible says, uh, you know, and uh, that will turn the other cheek and all of that, whatever stuff they say. Well, how about just the simple, the simplest thing, you know, a uh, parent with a child, one parent's, you know, kid's doing something wrong. One parent's version of love is to discipline them, and the other parent's version of love is to just say, oh, but I love him. And we all instinctively know which is the right way, but then as we get older, for some reason, well, for the obvious reason, humans fall into believing that love means just accepting everything when that's, that's not love. And you could see it clearly in a parental relationship, and that's how we should all view our entire lives. Right. That well, true love means uh, a lot of times a lot more than what people... Well, we, you know, we, we can dedicate so much time to love and need to in the future. But I'll, I'll say this right now. If, uh, if you or anyone has not read The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, you need to. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's a short book. And this book absolutely saved my life. And I'm not going to elaborate on that. I will just tell you that I don't think anything better has ever been written. It's so amazing. And, and so stemming from that, my question to you, God is love. What do we mean when we say God is love? What is love? God is, is the reverse true. And, and if so, what does that even mean? So back to the Trinity and love, the simplest way to prove the existence. If, if, if you want to take as a minor premise or a premise that God is love, then that right there will tell you that there has to be more persons than one in God. There has to be. Because if if you believe in an, an eternal God that was here always and in eternity, as in before time started and before the, quote, Big Bang, if that God is love now, but he was not loved before, then he needed something to make him complete, and therefore he's not all-powerful. So we have to stipulate that God... So God wasn't lonely? That's not why he created the world? If God was love now, if God is love now, God was always love because God is eternal. So uh, Peter Crave says love requires three things. It requires a lover, a beloved, and a relationship between them. So building off of what C.S. Lewis said, because... Lewis pointed this out long ago, like back in the 40s or 50s, 
um, that everybody repeats the Christian statement that God is love, but they don't understand that it doesn't have any meaning to say that unless God contains at least two persons. Because love is something that one person has for another person. So if God was a single person before the world was made, then he was not love. And therefore he needed something to make him complete. And therefore he's not God. So the, the hypostatic union, the way that Christians look at the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is it's a constant engagement of mutual dynamic of love. And out of that love came us because we were made in his image. And so we also are made of love. And the Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son is not a narcissist. He loves the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit is not preoccupied with himself and his own glory. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And like Lewis said, the Spirit is the product, and that's how he proceeds from. He's the product of their love. So another analogy is the Trinity being like an apple. You have the seeds of the flesh and the skin, three different things. And they form one thing, an apple. And so the lover relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and out of that came us. So you cannot say God is love and you at the same time hold that there is not a trinity because to, to say that is a logical fallacy, if, if that makes any sense. And I think it, it does. Yeah, it definitely does. It's, it's, it's interesting, though. So if you So does that mean that between every married couple that they have their own Holy Spirit? I think that's what's maybe hard for people to grasp, you know, like, how is it a separate person? I wouldn't call the, the spirit between my, myself and my husband a separate person. But then again, as you said, it is undeniable that there, there's a difference when we're together. There's a relationship there and that God. It's that third thing in the room. Don't you see? It is. It's It's love. And it's, it's interesting because Jesus obviously knows how complicated this is. I mean, this is a mystery of the faith. But he oh so clearly refers to the Holy Spirit as a separate person. He says the advocate will come after. I mean, that's what Pentecost is all about. It's not fake. It's, and it's, it's not... It, I guess the personhood is the difficult concept, but that's what's so beautiful about... 2,000 years of theological study. There's so much you could read about the Trinity. You could spend your whole life reading about it. But I think you're right that the key to it all is is grasping love first. You have to. And understanding that love doesn't exist between one person. So St. Catherine of Siena, a lovely quote from, from her. She said, we are made of love, for love, and by love. And if, if you take that to heart and think about it, that means that pure love created us and love is the action for which we were intended and love is our very nature. It, it makes perfect sense to me. I, I may not, my mind may not be able to grasp the full significance of the Trinity because it remains uh, one of our fundamental mysteries, but I'm a lot closer to it. Like I am, by the way, like I am closer to most anything in my life when I take love into account. Whenever I take love into account in any aspect of my life, it suddenly gets more clear and it suddenly gets better. Undeniable. It is. um, Speaking of you and your husband, Dr. Scott Hahn, the mighty, the great, the awesome Dr. Scott Hahn uh, used another analogy, not even an analogy, a way of thinking about the Holy Spirit, about speaking about how when new life is created, when a husband and wife um, become one flesh and with the grace of God, they become three flesh. <laughs> that is, they conceive a new child. So God, who can imagine all creatures into existence, has allowed us humans to share in his creation. He made his creation an image of himself. So the love between it's, it's like the love between the two parents becomes the third person, the child. And that is like the Trinity being the family of three who are one. It's, it's, it's perfectly logical to me to think of it that way. It doesn't exceed the capacity of my reason because I don't use just my reason. I allow love to come in. And when you allow love to come in, God's love, that is, uh, not Hollywood love, 
you find your brain expanding and you find your understanding of things expanding. And so I, for me, if I want to understand the Holy Spirit relationship with the Father and the Son, I have to think of love first. Well, and I've never, I mean, it's always been one of my favorite ways of thinking of the Trinity, that the two become one and they actually become one. So you want to think, well, how do three, how is three one? And, and, and it's not a perfect analogy because as my friend tried to tell me, it's not, you can't think of it as like Jesus is the arm and father's the head. It's not like that. So it's it's not. not separate, like father and a mother and a baby, but it is an analogy that is very, very good because there, you, there's an undeniable oneness of a family. It's uh, everybody feels it. I've never met a couple who have a new baby who, who don't understand, just inherently that breath of life, that new spirit that enters the home. As the three of them are really one, more than they ever were, even as just two. The two do become one, and that's beautiful. But the three becoming one, there's this. You know, it's it's a, it's a great yeah, it's a it's a great way to look at it, and it's one of my favorites. I, for sure. Thinking about the 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 third part, the father and son, from them proceed the Holy Spirit, and then the analogy too that C.S. Lewis made about you know the 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 club or the group or the football team or the whatever that there's the spirit of the family, the spirit of the group. That that's another way, you know, t- to sort of get how that Holy Spirit proceeds from. So if I could just ask you, what the heck does the Holy Spirit do that's different? And why do we need three different persons? Um, Why do we need them? Not why does God need them? He doesn't need anything. But why do we need the three parts of God? Like functionally, if I'm a practical person listening to this conversation right now, I'd be like, okay, so fine. You've tried to identify this thing. You've outlined that some people don't believe in it or against it but can i can you tell me why it's practical and why i need this what do these three persons do why are they different why can it not just be one god what is it about the trinity that makes it necessary for us as people walking around here go well i i guess it's i i guess i couldn't even i couldn't even say because it's you know like i i don't exist without God. And so he is three. So that is who he is. He's three in one. So I obviously need all three. And I could, you know, I, I actually was watching a little YouTube video of a, the mill, a priest from the Milwaukee diocese did this really cute little two minute video. Those, it was good. And he said that he, in fact, I might all include it maybe in the notes for the podcast page, but, um, you know, he says when he when he needs um, courage, he'll pray to the Father. When he wants, you know, sympathy or forgiveness, he prays to the Son. And when he wants, you know, inspiration, he'll put pray to the Holy Spirit. So you could think of these uh, persons in that way. And I guess maybe we should, you know. It's always such a, and it's only something I'm only beginning to really ponder as I get older, you know, what's blasphemous, you know. And it's funny because these other religions that they, they don't pray to Jesus, you know, Mormons will say that they're Christian, but try and get them to say a prayer to Jesus. They won't. He's just an archangel, but we do pray to Jesus and we do pray to the Holy spirit and we do pray to God and they are all God. And so what, what do we all need? Well, here's one of my favorite quotes from Luke, Luke 12, 11. When you're brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say. <clears throat> for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So he's a teacher. He's an advocate. He's a he's he's inspirational. And it's funny. In a it's inevitable, I guess. In a talk about the Trinity, we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit specifically because that's the one that I think is the most challenging to accept as an individual person. For, for I would I would think you know. Yeah. I mean Jesus. That personal relationship with him is almost obvious because look he he. He's God incarnate. Well, he is. Uh, can you think about the creed for a minute that we that we recite in Mass every week? Like robots, because that's what we are? Because we're robots, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, seriously, I mean. Yeah, obviously. 
Okay, yes, I believe in God okay. the Father. So, is there not is there not a fairly concrete uh albeit brief explanation of each of them? Yeah. It, there absolutely is, right? It starts with, you know, when I asked you why we need them, why does there have to be three? It's almost a way of asking, like, like a Bill Maher would say, what? So God, Father couldn't do what the Son does, or the Holy Spirit couldn't do what the Father does? And if you think about the beauty of the way the Nicene Creed is written, it starts off with the Father, and it, what does it call him? The maker of heaven and earth. Of all things, everything, visible and invisible. And then it goes to Christ. It believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son. And, and we already said begotten means uh, it's of the same kind. And in the Nicene Creed, we have eternally begotten, which is an even more far out concept. Right. Born of the Father before all ages. And there's the mind bender there. Mm-hmm. Born of the Father before all ages. What does that even mean? But then it says, God from God, light from light. So Jesus is God. Jesus is light. True God from true God. And again, begotten. Consubstantial. That's the new word that we all Catholics had to learn mm-hmm. a couple years ago when, when we went back to the actual original language. Consubstantial means made from the same stuff. It means the same thing as the Father. And then, this is the, this is the crazy, crazy part about the Son. It says, through him all things were made. Through Christ. So in other words, through the Son, all things were made. What does that even mean? I thought, you know, the Father was the creator and the maker, but he did it through the Son. Okay, let's keep that in our brain. And then he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate, which means made into flesh. Of the yeah, so the Holy Spirit is somehow involved in the actual incarnation of the second person of the Trinity. That's not somehow involved uh, in often often referred to the Holy Spirit as the uh, the bride or the the bridegroom of Mary. Right. Absolutely. Which is which is one argument for her perpetual virginity because she was already. Married. Right. And then, by the way, uh, that mentioned the Holy Spirit. But then near the end, we we go ahead and throw it on for good measure that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. So now the Holy Spirit, it says at the very top that the Father made all things, and he's the creator, but now the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. Going back so, to that beautiful analogy of the two become one. Exactly, Dr. Scott Hahn. Mm-hmm. Mighty Dr. Scott Hahn. Um, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, and who has spoken through the prophets. And there's another clue right there. So the inspiration that Christians forever have felt. Any time we feel that tingle and we feel inspired and Michelangelo or any great artist or even not great artist who feels inspired to do something, it's because the Holy Spirit is in them. He spoke through the prophets. He inspires. And what does inspire mean? It means the Spirit is in you. He inspires all of us. So it, it for me, it's like, okay, now I really get it. The, the love thing is great for me. It, it makes perfect sense. And now when I think about it, there's one God. All the Trinity is really doing is explaining how this one God does what he does. If you can look at it like mechanical almost. Okay, so the Father created, he did it through the Son, and the Spirit imbues life in everything. Wow, okay, that makes that makes sense. So see, we can we can get there with reason and we can get there with love. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. I, I think this could probably go on forever and ever, but I guess maybe we should start wrapping up our first preseason uh, episode, if you will. I think I know what our opening song for today should be. Okay. <laughs> the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. Oh, I love it. All you need is love. Yeah. All right. Well, okay, so... By way of segueing to whatever may or may not come next, I will just say this. 
Um, it's not clumsy at all for you and I to have these talks because we've had so many thousands of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if anyone ever does listen, if you sense any kind of awkwardness or mm-hmm. clumsiness or anything, it, it, it's not a reflection or a result of chemistry or comfort zone. It's more uh, sort of a technical, mechanical, and probably nine times out of ten because we overthought something and thought we had to make something more technical than it needed to be because all we really need to do is free flow and think. And well, and if anybody knows who's trying to think hard about something, sometimes you're going to go down a rabbit hole, you know? You just don't lose yep. your... Don't, as a, I, I, I do full disclosure, again, I, I love to listen to Rush and I love his tangents. I love his uh, his way to always... That, that he always gets back to what he was um, talking about. So that's the, right. the hope is that we will always stay on track, although tangents are i think always welcome because that's your your brain hopefully kicking into gear yeah i completely agree most of our talks though to be frank uh usually are over some red wine and bourbon which i am not going to have while we're doing the show so oh good call i think that's a good policy um another good policy i think will be at some point to get we have so many amazingly intelligent funny witty happy loving people in our little family circle that i think getting getting some of them involved at some point here and there would be nothing but magic and nothing but a great thing definitely definitely lot there's a lot out there Mm -hmm. there's talent in our hey how about that the spirit of our family right well yeah because you and my mom have been married for uh 32 years and you have four children and uh, you also have a lot of. We've, we're uh, three of us are married, so and, and we're all, all, all six of us are Catholic. Your youngest daughter is Catholic, but she's she's a little bit falling away right now. But and what this uh, ending really should have come at the beginning by way of introductions of who and what we are. Um, the fact that you have been a Disney employee for so many years and the fact that you are an amazingly accomplished uh, student and uh, an animator with two bachelor's degrees in art and English, those things come out and they need to come out. And the fact that I'm, uh, instead of buying a Corvette for my midlife crisis, I started a third career at the age of 50 and became a police officer after being <laughs> federal law enforcement for 10 years and, and being in the United States Marine Corps for 20 years before that. I mean, we are certainly an eclectic little. Oh yeah. Going on. My here. brother's in the Caribbean Island right now in med school. Who himself spent eight years in the United States Marine Corps. And who uh, himself differed from us on a lot of views for, for quite a while. And, and has like the prodigal son on steroids is now a leader, a, a, a thought leader in our family, someone who's on the cutting edge of important battles that need to be fought to, to protect life. And Yeah, certainly we'll talk about uh, abortion, I, I'm sure. It will take up these Planned Parenthood videos or something, some element of them. But yeah, our bro- my brother, your son, is uh, deaf, a warrior for life right now because he as a med student, is in the, um, I don't know, maybe the smallest minority possible in the world for being pro-life and, you know, among just, you know, complete opposition, for sure. So, and then... uh, And then we have another Disney creature in our youngest, Anna, and we have the magnificent, the spectacular Rachel Marie, Mm -hmm. who's now pregnant, uh, with her biology degree, living with the amazing Taylor, and we didn't even mention the the musical talents of your awesome husband Adam, and we didn't mention Alicia, the the beautiful mother of Felix Magnus. Oh, Felix will definitely have to be a whole episode. Our first grandchild. So as you can see, if anyone st- <laughs> happens to still be listening to this, there's there's a lot in this family that. Uh, our mom, she's great too. She's amazing. Uh, the most amazing, the one. Talk about the Holy Spirit of a family. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, indeed. And so, our grandma, 
Oh, your mom and my other oh. grandma, my mom's mom. So yeah, we've got a lot. We got a lot going on. We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot of people to bring on. We also obviously have a lot of work to do too. This is episode one, which may or may not even be released. This might be a bootleg you're listening to right now because we're like so <laughs> popular that you're like, I gotta find that beginning stuff when they didn't even have good microphones and like this is the underground stuff where we talked about pot. I heard they talked about pot in their first episode. No, they did not talk about pot. They did. They actually did. Then they then they were ashamed and they stopped talking about it, but it was still on everybody's mind. It's like that elephant in the room, that, yep. that anti-Holy Spirit. But by, uh, because I have to do this, I have to summarize. I have a strong need for that. It's a closure thing for me. What did we accomplish here? Uh, I think we sort of defined the Holy Spirit as best we could. I think we discussed opposition to it, and I think we boiled down what it really means and gave some practical, uh, if not analogies, at least ways of patterns of thinking about it in relation to like families and, of course, love. So to me, this was a success. We didn't solve anything, but we talked about it, I think, in a productive way. Hey, I learned a lot. I laughed a lot. I cried like a lot. So it was good. I, and if it were a movie, I'd be at Redbox tomorrow. It'd be at the 99 cent store. Oh. Well, okay. Well, I guess we're going to go ahead and close out this episode of Pop and Jay for now until next time. Or do we want to tease the next episode? We don't really know what it is for sure. Oh, here's how we'll tease it. You will not believe what we're going to talk about next time. In a world where... Pop and Jess talked about pot. What will they talk about next? Could be heroin. Oh, stand by. I let it out. Well, yeah, so I guess we can't really tease it because we don't know. But we have a lot of different ideas. You've heard them throughout the podcast. I also want to talk about Tim Tebow because I love him. All right. If we talk about Tebow, who I also love, we must talk about the mighty Peyton Manning. It's a give-take thing. Well, yeah, I guess we could talk about football generally because... Let's do it. All right, guys. Keep moving forward. All right, that's good. Yay.